Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Grace Wan in Fermina Kim. Coming up on Forum, how parents and caregivers can help kids become what journalist Jennifer Wallace calls healthy achievers. American parents, she says, tend to value their kids' external accomplishments, the straight A's, the fancy job offers, the things that will help them stand out in a competitive world. But Wallace says it's far more important to teach them the skills of interdependence, how to ask for and accept support, and to offer help to others. It's all part of the idea of what researchers call mattering, that kids thrive when they understand how they matter within their communities. Wallace's new book is Never Enough. We learn more after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Grace Wan in Fermina Kim. When journalist Jennifer Brenny Wallace's oldest son was in the sixth grade, she was told that he would need a passion to stand out in college admissions. Wallace took the advice to heart. Since her son liked building things, she began researching college and high school architecture programs, and eventually she found an evening class for him to attend. When she shared the good news with him, he replied, Mom, I love architecture. Please don't ruin it for me. The ease in which Wallace slipped into that cycle of worry and striving is a hallmark of the toxic achievement culture that Wallace says we need to counter. Instead of valuing our kids for what they do, we need to show them they matter for who they are. Her new book is Never Enough. Welcome to Forum, Jenny. Thank you so much for having me. I love that you included the story of you and your son in the book, because I think when it comes to our kids and their future happiness, a lot of parents, I mean, myself included, we've had that moment, a little bit, a moment of crazy, maybe, um, where we're trying to do the best for them, but maybe we're not. Is that how you felt in that moment? Oh, very much so. I think there is a social contagion that plays into all of this. And so while isolated in your in your home, you might not be necessarily going deep, like trying to sign your sixth grader up for an architecture class. But when you hear at pickup or drop off, or you hear at parent teacher conference nights that, you know, everybody seems to be doing something, it's really natural to, I think what I found in my research and what I found in my own home to feel like if you're not doing something, your child is falling behind. So tell us how, how, how do you define toxic achievement culture? Yeah. For, so for me, um, to be clear, this is not an anti-achievement book. I am an I am an achiever. I want my kids to know the joy of achievement. Where it becomes toxic though is when our self-worth is coupled with it. 
so that we are only worthy when we achieve and failures and setbacks become indictments of our worth to ourselves and to those around us. And so- Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. And so to me, the, the, the difference is that achievement- um, you know, what I tell my kids and what I tell myself is I am not my achievements and I am not my failures. My worth is n- my worth, no matter what. That to me is healthy. That feels like a good bumper sticker. And we'll get more into that. <laughs> um, what did you learn uh, from your research about why parents and kids are so anxious today about achievement, which often um, is wrapped up into where they go to college? I mean, I look back to some New York Times articles from 1983, and parents and students then were bemoaning the fact that there were more applicants for the spaces available at these selective colleges. But you say it feels different now. It does. I mean, when I was growing up in the 70s and early 80s, I think life, well, I don't think I know, life was generally more affordable back then. Housing was more affordable. Higher education was more affordable. Healthcare was more affordable. Food was more affordable. So there was slack in the system. A parent could feel like a child could make some wrong turns, have some bumps along the way, and yet still be able to probably replicate their childhoods, if not do even better. Um, you know, the part of the American dream is to do better than your parents. And we are seeing today, modern parents are seeing the first generation of kids who are not doing as well as their parents. Parents today are feeling the crush of the middle class. They are feeling the hyper competition that is coming in with globalization. They are seeing this steep inequity. And what's happening, according to economists, is that we are absorbing these macroeconomic forces and whether we're aware of it or not, and it comes out in our parenting, we become social conduits, sort of feeding that anxiety and fear about the future um, to our kids in the way that we parent. And that came out in a study that you did. I mean, you uh, it was over 6,000 parents and students and kind of the first of its kind with the help of a researcher from the Harvard Graduate School of Education. You surveyed um, parents across the country about this. And I, just reading the statistics, I mean, over 85% of parents felt that people will judge them as to whether they've been good parents based on their children's academic success. I mean, that feels honest, but also a no-win. And no win. And and I I also, in the same survey, I asked parents how much they felt responsible for their children's achievement and success. And 75% um, agreed that they did feel that responsibility. So, you know, it's always been a parent's job to raise a child who can thrive when we are no longer around to provide for them, right? That is just a basic measure of, of, you know, our parenting. And, um, but what parents are coming up against is that we're sensing fewer and fewer opportunities for our kids. We don't know what the jobs are going to be when they graduate. Now AI is on the scene. How does that shift things? Um, and so it's never felt so fraught. Um, we're also sensing fewer and fewer social safety nets for our kids. So we are, in the words of one researcher I interviewed, Parents are now tasked with weaving individualized safety nets for each of our kids. It's something she calls status safeguarding, and that's exhausting. Is this a uniquely American problem? Um, I only really studied uh, America, but it's not. I mean, if you look at the research coming out of the London School of Economics, if you look at the research in Canada, Uh, Researchers are finding a rise in what they call socially prescribed 
perfectionism, meaning that young people are reporting that they believe outside forces, their parents, uh, people, you know, adults in the community have an expectation that they be perfect. Um, and they are feeling that. So there is, that is a sort of a universal theme among the students that I interviewed for the survey, but also what researchers are seeing in other countries as well. Well, you know, these parents are worried that their kids aren't going to get into the selective college. And, you know, people in your survey were saying, and that selective college is going to lead to some later life happiness. I think for a lot of parents, you know, there is this idea that, hey, I got this great education. That's why I have this solid job. That's why I have this steady life. I mean, there is it wrong to want your kid to go to the best school that they can? Right. I, I don't think it's wrong. I mean, and I say in the book that I am very much one of these parents. I am in the trenches with them. I have three teenagers. And, you know, what I think parents have come um, in this in the face of these fears and anxieties about the future they are hoping that a selective brand name college will act as a kind of safety vest, a life vest that'll keep their child afloat in the future. But what we are finding, what the Surgeon General is finding, what other researchers are finding, and what I found in my research for the book is that the very life vest we are hoping to protect our kids with is drowning too many of them. It's being felt like a lead vest. So do I think it's wrong for parents to have ambition for their kids? Absolutely not. What I hope they get from this book, though, is, is to be ambitious for more for mm. their children. Be mm. ambitious for more than just that one narrow metric that's getting narrower and narrower by the year. Mm. You say that kids today, they're worried not just about measuring up, but actually measuring over. Um, and what does measuring over look like? Well, that's a lot of, I think, what is happening in these um, high-achieving communities. So in, in just to give you a little bit of background on that, in 2019, I wrote an article for the Washington Post about how students attending what researchers call high-achieving schools, those are competitive public and private schools or all around the country, those kids are now officially an at-risk group because of the excessive pressure to achieve. They are at risk, meaning they are two to six times more likely to suffer from clinical levels of anxiety, depression, and substance abuse disorder than the average American teen. So what you see, and I went into these schools as part of my research, what you see is that when you have this very narrow definition of success, when you have kids competing for that very narrow pathway, you know, someone has to be in the bottom of an AP calculus class. Uh, somebody's not going to make the, the the first flute of the band. Um, and and yes, competition has always been around. You know, I remember growing up. You know, I wanted leadership positions and I wanted to do well in my school, but it didn't define me as a person like it is now today with so many young people. They are defined by either the success of meeting that narrow definition of success, or they are defined by not meeting it. A lot of the kids that you talk to and the parents as well, you know, they are from affluent communities where they can get tutoring, there's access to great public schools, private schools. And you said you struggled a little bit when you did the research, like, is this a cohort I should care about? But then you came around on that. How did that happen? 
Yeah. So I asked uh, Sonia Luther, who uh, up until she passed away a few months ago, was one of the world's leading researchers on resilience. She has studied all sorts of at-risk populations. And I said to her, should we really care about these kids, my kids, whose parents can afford, you know, the therapy? Um, and she, she very firmly snapped at me. Um, and she <laughs> said, a child in pain is a child in pain. No one, neither child chooses their circumstances. She also said to me, we are not weighing pain here. We are not saying that one pain is is more worthy of the other or less worthy of the other. Pain is not a zero sum game. And so I and then I went on the road and I met these kids and oh my gosh, you can't turn your back on a child that's suffering. You can't turn your back on a family that's experiencing this. I mean, it is it is heartbreaking. So I did come around to it. Mm, I mean, these kids that you've you spoke to I mean, they seemed a little lost, a lot of them. Like, they knew that they were supposed to go to try to find these great colleges, but then they weren't sure what to do next after that. Well, absolutely. So many kids I met. One, actually, I I opened the book with um, a young woman who I interviewed over the course of several years. Um, and when I first interviewed her, we were on Zoom because it was the middle of COVID. And um, she told me she wasn't a night person. And uh, I said, neither was I. And she said, yeah, you know, sometimes I go to bed at midnight and I wake up at five to finish my papers. And I said to her, she was a varsity athlete. I said, how do you have any stamina on five hours of sleep? And she said, those are the days I run the laps with my eyes closed. Oh. So these kids are not, um, you know, not necessarily subscribing to the life that they are in, but they, they see no other choice. Well, we're talking about toxic achievement culture, which puts pressure on students, parents, and communities to succeed, and where success is defined very narrowly as getting top grades and winning competitions or getting into an elite college. We're joined by Jennifer Brenny Wallace. She's the author of Never Enough, When Achievement Culture Becomes Toxic and What We Can Do About It. After the break, we want to hear from you. Are you or your kids affected by toxic achievement culture? Email your comments and questions to forum at kqe.org or find us on Twitter or Facebook, Instagram, or Discord. We're at KQED Forum. Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. More after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. 
I'm Grace Wan in Fermina Kim. We're talking about toxic achievement culture and the meaningful and practical ways we can counter or at least turn down the volume on this. I'm joined by journalist Jennifer Brenny Wallace, who has a new book, Never Enough, When Achievement Culture Becomes Toxic and What We Can Do About It. And we want to hear from you. Are you do you have strategies that you found to combat this achievement culture? And how does your family define success? Email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org or find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or Discord. We're at KQED Forum, or you can give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Jenny, we were talking about how children are feeling in this competitive academic environments. And, you know, one thing is when you talk to them and you say, where you go to college doesn't matter. It's fit that's most important than the name. I've heard kids respond. I mean, my own kids respond saying, you know, that's what grownups say, but that's not what grownups really mean. Every run around us, they have parents who went to these great schools. Now they have great jobs, amazing resumes. Just be honest with us. This really does matter. Have you heard something similar? I have. And I actually have a senior. Um, my oldest is applying to colleges right now. Good times and for you. Good times for you. Yes, good times. <laughs> but I, I feel so grateful, right, that I had four years of researching and writing this book because he's been hearing it in our home. But what I've done, so my husband and I both went to Harvard. But when, when I was applying to Harvard, it was an 18% acceptance rate. It's now 3%. And my husband and I were not willing to live the kind of lifestyle that we would need to get a child in today. And so my kids have been hearing from a very early age, at least four years ago, as I started researching the book, about all of the people in my life who are successful, who didn't go to one of these colleges, who went to, you know, one of my most successful friends went to a small liberal arts school in Ohio. I can't even remember the name of it begins with an M. Um, And so so in our, in our house, I think if you start normalizing it and you start normalizing other paths, um, I, I, I don't know. I have not heard as much pushback anymore, especially now that the acceptance rates are dwindling so much that it is very much like a lottery. And I do hope in our house, I believe it has really taken the pressure down because if you don't get in, it's not an indictment against you. It's literally a lottery. Mm-hmm. Try your best. We say in our house, do your best. But what's more important than the college that you get into is what you do when you are in the college. And really, there is so much research to back that up. Well, I wanted to bring a student voice into the conversation. Mahi Jarawala is a senior at Monta Vista High School in Danville. She's also a member of the KQED Youth Advisory Program. Thanks for joining us, Mahi. Thanks for having me on. Well, like Jennifer's son, you also are applying to college right now, and it's no doubt a little bit stressful. What is the vibe like among your friends at your school about admissions? There's a lot of stress. I think being a senior puts so much pressure on these kids, and this is something that a lot of students have been thinking about for many years now, and finally coming to that time where you have to turn in all of your applications and finish up you know, the rest of your schooling and think about where you want to spend the next four years of your life is, is a big deal. Well, what messages, Mahi, have you received from the adults around you about what college you should go to, what, what you should be thinking about? I think a lot of adults in my life, whether that be teachers, coaches, my parents have just been to follow my passion. I think that's the advice that I've received ever since I entered high school 
I have not been sure of what I want to study and I still don't know, but I've always just done what I've been passionate about, like joining the KQD Youth Advisor Board or playing basketball. And I think that through that, I've been able to to find what I enjoy. Hmm. You know, Jennifer, Jenny, Jenny's been talking about the pressure that kids feel. And I wonder, Mahi, can you share with us like a, what can adults do to to support kids better through not just the college process, but high school and, you know, the life ahead of them. What's been great advice that you've received? Be there for them. I have so many, not only adults, but peers in my life that just believe in me. And no matter whether I achieve something or whether I don't, they're always there um, to support me. And they really support this idea of like my work ethic. I think that I work really hard in whatever it is that I'm doing. And when you have people that instead of celebrating you for what you achieve, but for how hard you work, that like you talked about early on the show, um, Jenny, about, you know, not really putting all this emphasis on like what you achieve, but like who you are as a person. So making sure that you're supporting people of about who they are rather than what they accomplish, I think is is really important. Well, it feels like, Mahi, you have read the book, and which is awesome. And Jenny, what Mahi's talking about is what you write about. One way to counter this culture of striving is to emphasize mattering. Can you explain what that is? Yeah, I was thinking as she was speaking how, um, how what a wonderful sense of mattering um, she had about herself from the people in her life. So what I found, I went in search for the book of the healthy strivers. I wanted to know what, if anything, these students had in common. What was home life like? What was school like? What was their relationship like with their peers? And, you know, I found with the with the help of a researcher at Baylor, I found about 15 things that these healthy achievers had in common. And I detail it all at length in the book, but it boils down to this idea of mattering. Mattering is an idea that's been around since the 1980s. It was first conceptualized by Morris Rosenberg, who brought us self-esteem. And what he found back in the 80s was that students who matter to their parents enjoyed a healthy level of self-esteem. That is, they felt valued and significant and important to their parents. And what I found in the in my own research is that those kids who felt that high level of mattering who felt valued by family, friends, and community for who they were deep at their core, away from their external achievements, and kids who were depended on to add meaningful value back. That Those were the kids who enjoyed this high level of mattering that acted like a protective shield. So it wasn't that they didn't have setbacks or failures, but mattering acted like a kind of buoy that would lift them up. Um, anyway, it's been... It, learning about mattering has changed my parenting and really changed my life. Well, you write about how when your daughter was struggling with a test and feeling very anxious about it, you gave her a particular note that has stayed with her. Tell us what you said to her. Yeah. So I, she was stressing about her grades and I, you know, said to her so many times, your grades are not your worth. And then I spotted a post-it note next to her desk And I wrote, your grades don't equal your worth. And I handed it to her and she keeps it on her keypad of her laptop. Um, Just these gentle reminders 
Yeah. And, and, you know, sometimes as parents, like we think we're being, that sounds amazing, but sometimes we think we're being helpful and supportive, but maybe our words and our deeds are not landing the way we expect. And you also have this great story about a mom. She's a psychoanalyst at Yale in the emotional intelligence department, and she was leaving lunch notes for her kids that sound amazing, but they didn't hit quite the way she thought they would. What happened? Yeah, so <laughs> but what she and I were talking about is Robin Stern um, at the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence was that it's not so much what we say, but what our kids hear and how our, you know, messages hit them. So she was writing little notes in her kids' lunch boxes that said personal excellence, <laughs> which was like their personal motto. And she meant it as don't compare yourself to anybody else, just yourself. And instead, our kids said to her recently, they're in their 20s now, oh my gosh, every time I saw that note, I was like, great, so much pressure from my mother. <laughs> it's not how she intended it, but but what she explained is that teenagers come equipped with a heightened negativity bias. We all have a negativity bias, but for kids, for adolescents, it's really heightened. So for parents, what does that mean? It just means to be careful about yeah. the messages we're sending, the looks we're giving, because they're reading so much more into it. Well, we're writing, we've gotten lots of comments and calls. I'm going to start with this one. A listener writes, we just sent our daughter off to her sophomore year of college. She's still undeclared in her major, and I know it's a point of anxiety for her. My husband and I have always tried not to be the helicopter overachievement type parents. That said, she attended a high-achieving high school, and I know she feels these same pressures. It is heartbreaking to see the struggles she and so many of her peers experience. I mean, Jenny, sometimes it's not just what you can bring at home. There's so much happening outside of your house that you need to deal with. How do you navigate that? Yeah. So, I, you know, the most important thing I think is what that mother is doing who wrote in, which is to make home a haven from the pressure, a place to recover, a place where your worth doesn't have to be earned. Your value doesn't have to be earned. And I would say for parents to call out the messages in the wider culture, when we see them, that point to the idea that you should know already what you want to do. I mean, I, I think if you were to look at your life, how many people majored in something or declared a major sophomore year of high school and 20 years from now are actually do, doing something with it? I think it's quite rare. Um, and I think there is this excessive pressure from peers, from school, from social media. And so it really is the parent's job to just keep hammering home that their worth is their worth no matter what, there is time. Mm. That is why there's time. Well, sometimes I think social media is like a third parent and they are not good at their job. That's what I've come to conclude. Um, let's go to the phones. We've got Paul from Berkeley. Hi, Hi Paul. Welcome to Forum. Hi. Uh, hi. Uh, I just wanted to share my own story. Um, my oldest uh, went to King Middle School and she, she did stellar. She got straight A's, and she was part of all these clubs like drama and choir and, and, and such. But then when she went to Berkeley High, um, very quickly, uh, you know, she she, she just uh, started drowning. Mm. And um, very quickly we decided uh, that, uh, well, we eventually decided to just pull her out of high school. And uh, she uh, started taking community college, and uh, she took the, um, the California High School Proficiency exam, got her high school diploma, uh, and she graduated from um, DVC, and then she transferred to Cal, and now she's a PhD student at uh, at Brown. Uh, I just wanted to to point out that um, you know it's important to listen to the kids and and 
what's right for them. Um, it was a huge transition to go from middle school to, to Berkeley High, which is like a, a giant school of like 3,000 kids. And, and there's just so much pressure from both like the peers and, and the teachers. So I just wanted to, you know, just to, to share our own story. And, and, and if any other parents are in a similar situation, like there are there are other options. Mm. Well, thank you for, for that comment, Paula. It sounds like you really did listen to your kid and kind of went against the norm by pulling her out of school. Was it hard to do that? Yes, because <laughs> nobody else did. And, and uh, you know, she felt like she had to you know leave her friends and her, her social group. But, uh, but it worked out in the end. And, you know, it was just, um, it, it was really hard. Uh, it was just way too much pressure. Jenny, what do you think about what Paul said? And I mean, here's a family that is trying to help their kid and they do go against the norm, which is not easy to do. Well, I would I would first commend the father for really intimately knowing his child. And what I say in the book is to get a PhD in your child because your kid feels like they matter when they feel known by you and seen by you. And um, I actually would say that what I have found in my research and in talking with parents is that there is a silent majority of parents who want to tone down the pressure, who want to dial it down. And I think it's what I'm hoping with this book is that we start a national conversation of what can we do to support our kids and what could we do to support each other as parents? I think, Mahi, you're still with us, and I just want to get your take on that. When things become really tough, when the stress feels really too much, how have you found a release, and what do you and your friends talk about in in terms of just trying to get out of the grind culture? It's just taking a break. (laughs) I think sometimes like you get so lost in all of these things that you have to do, but it's okay to just take a step back sometimes and be like, I just need to take a break right now, and everyone is is so supportive of that, especially at at like my school and my friends and my parents. They understand that when things get too overwhelming, you can't just keep going. There has to be a moment where you're like, I need to take a break and I can come back to this when I need to. And I think that's just been the biggest thing that's sort of helped me. I feel not burn out right now in high school. Mm. Well, that's good advice. That was, that was Mahi Jarawala. She's a senior at Monta Vista High School in Danville and a member of the KQED Youth Advisory Board. Thanks so much for joining us, Mahi. Thank you so much. Yeah. Jenny, you talk about trying to take the kettle off the heat when it comes to grind culture. How do you do that for your kids? Yeah. I mean, there are different, I interviewed so many families that did that. One of them was like the father that just called in. He's the daughter was uh, at boarding school and she just saw the pressure was just mounting. And so, um, so she pulled her out of school. Uh, That is a brave thing to do and, and a difficult choice for a parent. But what I talk about when I say taking the kettle off the heat, it's again, making home a haven from the pressure a place that our kids can recover. It doesn't mean as parents, we shouldn't have standards. We shouldn't have limits. Of course we should. A child knows that they matter when the adults in their life are invested in their success. But I think too often we as parents can get fixated on shiny outcomes, the grade on the Spanish quiz on Thursdays or, um, and and instead of that, you know, the, the parents of the wise, healthy strivers that I met what they did really is they they would sometimes even hold their kids back from taking on more and and so instead of push instead of encouraging their kids to and pushing them 
they found areas in their kids' lives that really would have been served by doing less and having more sleep, more family time, more time with friends. So for these parents, it was, yes, they wanted their children to be ambitious and high achievers, but they want some, they wanted to do something more, which was to teach them how to live a life of balance that their kids wouldn't need to one day escape with drugs and alcohol. A lot of the students that I met who were very much caught in grind culture on the weekends told me that they drank to black out, mm-hmm. not to have one or two drinks, but literally to, to black out just to end the grind. Um, and these parents of the healthy strivers said, we want to teach our kids now while they're under our roof, how to build a kind of life that allows for downtime, allows for coping, allows for relationships so that kids don't have to turn to drugs and alcohol. Well, let's go back to the phones. We have Andreas from Menlo Park. Andreas, welcome to Forum. Hi, I've I, I've just graduated high school. I'm currently on a gap year, and it's it's interesting to hear this conversation after seeing many of my peers, even who didn't have necessarily quote like helicopter or high pressure parents, really struggle with the college application season, and just broadly through high school going to a college prep, where they they want to do as good as they can. They want to do a good job, and they latch on the high, uh, they latch on to the sort of college as a like this is an opportunity to prove myself, and just massively suffer for it throughout high school, of passing on opportunities to do the things they actually want to do for this sort of goal. That's this amorphic goal of college. Mm. What What are you doing for your gap year, Andreas? Uh, I've I've just got a a. a a fun job worked out that relates a little bit to college, but it's it's not super high pressure, which is yeah. what, I, what I was working for, <laughs> what I was aiming for. Yeah, I mean, and Jenny, we'll talk more after the break, but you are you have noticed that kids are striving for the school of college, like Andrea said, and then they get there and they don't know why they're there. <laughs> yes, I have seen that. And I would love to give advice when we get back on you know, what as a parent, we can help our kids to to find the right fit and, and to focus on what they should do in college. Right. Well, this is Forum and I'm Grace Wan and Fermina Kim. We're talking about toxic achievement culture and the pressure it puts on students and teachers and parents and communities to succeed and how to combat that. We're joined by Jenny Wallace. She's the author of Never Enough, When Achievement Culture Becomes Toxic and What We Can Do About It. Keep sending in your comments and calls. We want to hear about you and are you a recent college graduate? How do you feel about achievement culture? Are you a parent of a recent grad? And what would you reflect on the achievement culture that raised your kids? Email your comments to forum at kqed.org or give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. More after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. 
Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Grace Wan in Fermina Kim. Our guest today is journalist Jenny Brenny Wallace. She has a new book, Never Enough. It's about the practical ways we can pull back from the grind of achievement and overachievement and help our kids to matter. Jenny, before the break, we were talking about trying to find that fit for college. Um, we had our caller, Andreas, who was saying, you know, sometimes kids don't think about that. So what's your advice? Yeah. So I, as I mentioned earlier, I have a senior. Um, and so I actually gave him this section of my book that I call reject the premise, which is it breaks down the argument of, uh, you know, what research has found actually does lead to the financial well-being and emotional and social well-being that we all want for our kids out of college. Um, and so with the research and there have been, there's been several large scale studies one of which um, was Gallup and Purdue. They they teamed up to conduct the largest study of college graduates, something like 30,000 uh, students, um, and they followed them out of college and into the workforce. And they found that the prestige of a college, whether it was large or small, whether it was private or a large public institution, had little to no um, correlation to their financial success, career success, or emotional well-being. But what they did find did have a later life um, positive outcome was whether or not the student fit into the college culture. And what they describe as fit is, did they have you know a course with a professor that they enjoyed, who made learning fun, who knew who they were? Did they have a you know multi-semester project where they were able to to apply what they were learning into a larger project? Did they have an extracurricular activity or two that they were deeply involved with um, so that they felt a sense of community and belonging on campus? If you zoom out, really what this research study was talking about is that does the student feel like they matter on the campus? Do they feel valued by their peers and their professors? And are they given an opportunity to add value to others on that campus. So I would argue for for parents and students, find the kind of college where you will feel like you will matter. That Mm. is what you should be looking for because that's actually what leads to the long-term success that we so want for our kids. Well, Rebecca tweets, I went to an Ivy League college and then got a PhD from UC Berkeley. I still wasn't able to get a tenure track job because there's such a huge imbalance between jobs and qualified applicants. I brought into this note, I bought into this notion of success, get an excellent education and degree, and you'll get the job you deserve. Then I internalized these feelings of failure. It took a long time and a lot of pain to understand it was an institutional, not personal failure. The American meritocracy ideal is a lie. I mean, you've been talking about this, Jenny, that it's it just you just said it's like the long term. You're, you're really looking for the long term happiness of your kids, not just where they go to college. But what what are the elements and the foundations for a 
kind of successful life or however you determine success is. When you hear a comment like that, what do you think? I think, oh my gosh, that is exactly what I am hearing in the students that I interviewed, in the people that I've, the parents that I've spoken to, we have personalized instead of contextualized what our culture is feeding us and telling us. And I am so glad that she has done the work to figure out that she internalized those messages, those toxic messages. Um, and, uh, and, and I'm doing everything I can in my own house and through this book to help parents encourage and motivate their kids with a clean fuel, a clean fuel that, um, you know, versus dirty fuel and dirty fuel is what, what I look at when I, when I hear about, well, do this and do that and hit this mark and jump that hoop, and then you will find success and happiness. It just doesn't work like that. I think adults have enough perspective to know that we have enough people that we've met in our lives who've gone to these top colleges and their lives didn't work out as planned. And we all know many people in our in our adult lives who didn't go to college or went to a college that no one's ever heard of whose lives turned out beautifully. Hmm. What we know leads to later life happiness has nothing to do with a brand name college. It has to do with relationships. And these are decades worth of resilience research studies. This is not my book. This is <laughs> what the literature on you know, happiness and fulfillment, really what, what the roots are. And the roots are having deep relationships and having competence in your work. So in other words, it's feeling like you matter. Mattering matters throughout the lifespan. And you can go to any college and find deep, sustaining relationships and find a, a work or something that you do where you are competent and you are adding value in that pursuit. I wanted to read a couple more comments. Kate writes, I attended a competitive high school that gave awards for people's personalities as well as their academic performance. I won several of these awards and later came to believe they were harmful, not only because they left so many wonderful classmates unrecognized, but because they led me to equate external validation with internal value. It's taken years to unravel this equation. One key tonic for the high achievement culture I experienced was sleepaway camp. At camp, I was valued not for how good I was at some activity, but how I participated, how I helped other kids feel welcome, and how I was a good sport. While camp can be expensive, if I had kids, I would seek settings that value kids for their community contributions, self-awareness, and empathy. And that's something exactly what you say in the book, Jenny, that helping kids matter, not just inside their home, but in their community, that's critical to mattering. It absolutely is that we, in order to, yes, we can have these messages at home where our parents tell us that we matter and we can internalize that, but kids need social proof that they matter. They need to go out into the world and see that they're significant, that they can make a positive impact on other people. Mm. So I, I applaud this one. I'm glad that she did the work and, and she's now able to untangle achievement from her self-worth. Let's go back to the phones. Michelle from Walnut Creek, welcome to Forum. Hi, thank you very much. I'm a parent and an actually an independent college advisor in the East Bay. I also work with students around the country, and I was intrigued by this conversation And because I think that it is so important to acknowledge that, that the middle class of these young people that are suffering because of this pressure that we're putting on them. I have, I've met with thousands of parents over the last 15 years in this consult, this kind of cottage consultant business that I have. And 
I, I love the part where you say, um, like, who are the most successful people that we know that are, you know, 50 or 40 or 50 years old? And I always mention to my family that some of my most successful parents graduated from Chico State or Sacramento State. And they're happy. And it's not just about how big their house is or what their bank account is. It was the lifestyle they were able to create from it. And so I am just so worried about how they're so obsessed with these 100 colleges or 150 colleges that are somewhat name brand. And that if they don't go there, then their kid's not getting into the best school. And it's not oftentimes it's not even a good fit for their students. Yeah, I mean, that's that's something that you're contending with, right, Jenny? Absolutely. I mean, I'm also noticing a new trend in colleges, and I wonder if the caller is noticing this too, that some colleges are now accepting high school seniors and saying, if you go to another college for a year, you will have a guarantee transfer to us sophomore year. They're doing that because so many kids are dropping out. And it's something we don't talk about. And there is a shame attached to it. And they're dropping out because of mental health issues. They're dropping out because it was the wrong school for them. And I wish that as, you know, uh, that more of us could just talk about this and talk about the research and what, what really leads to the kind of, quote, success we want for our kids. We need to be widening our definition and allowing for setbacks and allowing for people to veer off this little narrow track that we've pushed everyone on. One of the pieces of advice that you offer in the book is, in fact, opening up the conversation. I mean, a lot of times parenting can feel lonely and you might feel too vulnerable to say, my kid's struggling and this is not going well. But you say you really need to ride in your community and have a go-to committee of people that you can talk to where you can share these um, wins and losses. One of the most surprising things I learned in the book was that the number one intervention for any child in distress is to make sure the primary caregivers, the adults in that child's life, that their support system, their well-being and mental health is intact because a child's resilience rests fundamentally on the resilience of the adults in their lives. And adult resilience rests on, as you put it, their relationships, their go-to committees, the depth depth of the relationships they have in their lives. And I've seen in the in the communities I visited all around the country, it's not that caregivers and parents don't have friends. They do. They just, they don't have the emotional bandwidth and time to invest in those friendships so that they could be sources of support. In order for us to be first responders to our kids' struggles, we need to have people in our life who value us, who see us, who we can be vulnerable to, and who could be vulnerable to us. One researcher I interviewed put it this way. She said, I'm not asking parent, you know, tired mothers to put their oxygen masks on first. I'm asking you to have one or two people in your life who can see you gasping for air and will put the oxygen mask on for you. That yeah. is a very different kind of relationship then we are conditioned to these days. We are one-person villages in our home, and it's hurting us, and it can hurt our kids. Well, Melissa writes, can you address toxic achievement culture in families of younger kids? It doesn't just start in high school. 
Oh, it does not just start in high school. Achievement, <laughs> a toxic achievement has creeped into, if you can believe it, the toddler years. In my um, survey, I interviewed, you know, as you pointed out, 6,500 parents. Some of those parents were, you know, had one or two-year-olds and talked about how competitive parenting had become. Oh, how many foods does your child have? Um, are you breastfeeding? Are you bottle feeding? Have they walked yet? What are their milestones? How many words do they have? So um, this this comparison, while it is an, a normal part of human nature, it it can really breed this um, this hyper competitiveness at a young age. I mean, we I also spoke with parents. I one family sticks out to me in the suburbs of Chicago. That talked about how when their daughter was entering kindergarten, actually, no, sorry, the kids were in kindergarten and they were given a gifted and talented test that would then track them on the G&T track in elementary school and middle school. And parents were up in arms. Parents were confused about the scores. Parents were angry that their kids didn't make the program. And while they didn't say it explicitly, what they were worried about was that you know, even in first grade, if you're off the track, you're already behind. Yeah. Um, this is Forum. I'm Grace Wan in Fermina Kim. As a counter to that, I mean, that anxiety that is creeping into, you know, toddlerhood, you have some really great pieces of advice. And those include lead with lunch and treat your child like a puppy. And I love a dog. Yes. So, you know, can you explain what that is? Yes. So, so, um, this was great research, um, great advice I've, I was given, that once a day, we should be greeting our kids the way the family puppy does when you walk through the door. Just totally, just let your kids see how much you enjoy them, how much you love them. So often our interactions with our kids are loaded with agenda items. Did you do this? Do you have homework? You know, when is your game? What, you know, oh, where are the cleats? There's oh, there's so much logistics involved with being a parent that too often we don't just get to enjoy our kids. But when we enjoy them, they get the sense that they matter. And the lead with lunch was, you know, before researching this book, my kids would walk in the door and I would sometimes say to them, how'd you do on the Spanish quiz? And, <laughs> and you know, that was that was to alleviate my own anxiety. And what did it send? What message did it send to my kids that that was the most important thing that day, that that was the thing I was thinking about since they left the door, left to go to school that day. So instead now I lead with lunch. So when they walk in the door, I say, so how'd it go? What'd you have for lunch today? Just something totally innocuous that sends the signal that I care about them as a person. You know, you have so many great ideas on this book. And I wondered... Is it ever too late to make the switch? I mean, if you've been one kind of parent up until now, the one who asked about the Spanish quiz and the calculus exam, is the damage done? Can it be reversed? It is never done. The, it, the, the relationship between a parent and a child, if your kids are in their 30s and 40s, it is never too late to focus on mattering in your relationship with them, of telling them how much you value them for who they are deep inside. And unlocking the value, the mattering within them. So no, it is never too late. And actually, you know, if you, I was thinking about, you know, the, the, the parent who had kids in their twenties, one, one mother recently said to me, you know, my, my child is really not doing great in her twenties. She does not feel valued. She's, she's anxious and depressed. What can I say to her? What can I do? And I said, you know what? 
I think what you should do is try to unlock her mattering. And how do you do that? You matter when you point out how other people matter. So have your daughter help an elderly neighbor who might need some help or volunteer together as a family to stock a food pantry. By by adding value, we see that we are valued. So you can you can unlock your child's mattering. That's what I love so much about it, that it's actionable, something you can actually do as a parent, a, a place you can put your energy. I think yesterday I read your book and I literally pet my son who's 17. <laughs> like I he was like, what's going on? I'm like, I just love you. Um, let's go back to the phones. We've got Leslie from Walnut Creek. Hi. Um, I have a child who has a mild learning disability. And as much as that was a challenge for schooling, um, early on, she didn't really fit into the traditional box. And I basically raised her to value her other strengths. And she made it with help. She made it through high school, and she's now at a college that's giving her extra help. And she got very involved in sports and excelled at sports. And, you know, I saw other kids that did sports with her, and the parents were really trying to get her kids into Harvard or whatever. And, you know, I could see that pressure with those kids. And in a way, my daughter had this different kind of ride. And it's, you know, the value of a school is, is value for work, but there's other things besides school and work in the world. And we kind of emphasized that, and it turned out great. So um, just want to put that out there. Oh, that's awesome, Leslie. Uh, and so nice to hear. Um, Jenny, you know, last words. You've stopped telling your kids, I want you to be happy. Why? Yeah, I want something more for them. Happiness, I've come to realize, is really just a fleeting emotion. It's not much of a life goal. Instead, I want them to live meaningful, fulfilling lives. And like this mother, Leslie, just said, I want them to know their strengths, and I want them to know how to use it to make the world a better place. Where can they add value uniquely with their strengths? That's what I want for them. Well, a listener writes, don't have huge expectations for your kids. Treat them kindly and love them. Healthy food and sleep, support and compassion. Try not to mold your child into what you want them to be. Let them bloom. I think that's good advice that you'd agree with. 1,000%. We've been talking to Jenny Wallace. She has a new book, Never Enough. Grab it at your local independent bookstore. Jenny, thank you so much for joining us on Forum. It's been a delight. What a great conversation. Thank you so much. This Hour of Forum is produced by Caroline Smith, Dan Zoll, Juan Carlos Laro, and me. Marlena Jackson-Rotondo is our engagement producer. Francesca Fenzi is our digital community producer. And Susie Britton is our lead producer. Our engineers are Danny Bringer and Brendan Willard and Catherine Monaghan. Our interns are Jericho Reininger and Amika Oda. Our vice president of news is Ethan Tovin Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Grace Wan, in for Mina Kim. Have a great holiday weekend. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, the Heising Simons Foundation, and the Bernard Osher Foundation, supporting higher education and the arts.
Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.